Happy 2017, cannabis business minds. 2016 was a whirlwind of a year, and especially for the cannabis industry. Eight more states have legalized cannabis, making the total number of states with medical, adult use, and CBD loss up to 42. This episode of Cannabis Business Minds is a two-part series dissecting the major events that happened in 2016 and things that you should keep a look at in, in 2017. Plus, we've also got a surprise announcement on the show. Can't wait for you guys to listen. So right now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the first episode of Cannabis Business Minds in 2017. All right. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Apologies on the delay. It's been forever since I've been able to do a podcast. 2016 has been such a crazy year, and I've got some really exciting news to share uh, since our, my last podcast, I teamed up with an excellent industry expert named Kristen Yoder. She's my business partner, and she has just an amazing tenure of experience in the industry over 11 plus years that I'll let her talk a little bit about. And we just decided that she's going to be the co-host of Canvas Business Minds. So I wanted to welcome you, Kristen, to the show. Thanks so much. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. And so we're recording in our office. And Kristen, I mean, like, I know that you're an expert. You've got such a following on LinkedIn. You're well known in the industry. But for everybody who doesn't know you, can you give a little bit of background on what have you done? So it has been an interesting 11 years. I've been in Los Angeles. I ran one of the first dispensaries in the city of LA for five years. And during that time, we started out with maybe five dispensaries in the city. Um, And by 2011, I mean, by 2007, there were over a thousand dispensaries. And then it was all political city council issues and in the end, they still haven't dealt with it Mm-mm. 10 plus years later. So that was interesting. And um, <laughs> I'm like, wait, what else? Okay. What I mean, so you started at a dispensary, and then what did you do after that? So, you, I mean, you pioneered so, it. You understood, like, regulation before any of us even understood it. Oh, so when it comes to the dispensary as well, there was nobody else to learn from. So what was really interesting is the dispensary started out being called Alternative Caregivers Christian Discount Dispensary because the owner was, like, paranoid of the DEA. (laughs) And then it was right when Weed Map, no, Weed Tracker had come out, and there was, like, some reviews saying there was, like, a huge Jesus statue at the dispensary, which actually prevented business. But anyways, that type of paranoia... Mm-hmm. I mean, people don't even realize anymore how good they have it. Mm-hmm. Um, the day Eric Holder became attorney general, we got raided by the DEA. And I was the only one there, luckily. So no one had guns in their faces. And in the end, they actually tried to recruit me. But I'm like, Are you The DEA? Yeah. Ah! <laughs> to See, be part of their cannabis yeah, eradication even, program. Even they knew I was an expert way back then. Yeah. So... Anyways, so I was there. Five years was a lot of talking to people. Also, people were really sick back then. It wasn't like everybody had a card like it is now. Mm -hmm. So it took a lot out of me to watch people suffering. And cannabis does help, but it can only do so much. Mm -hmm. So after five years, I, I was really burnt out. So I took a couple years off to learn how to grow cannabis, which is... Like, the most amazing experience of my life. Um, And I grew for... I grew indoor. I grew outdoor. I grew in a warehouse. And that's when I realized, like, growing is 
like farming. It's mm-hmm. a lot of labor, you know? Like, I'm not cut out for sweating like that indoors. Like, no. It's yeah. so much more enjoyable outside when it's a nature thing. And it's like, oh, the sun, and like you're dealing with. The harvest is coming. Yeah, in the, the sun wind goes down, or yeah. whatever. Caterpillars suck. But, anyways, so that was awesome. I loved it. But by the end of those two years, the prices of canvas that went down so much that it wasn't paying my bills anymore. How much, when that happened, because it's clearly like not 2016, how much was the price? Do you remember? So, it's crazy is in 2005. We bought a pound of OG Kush uh-huh. back then uh-huh. for fifty four hundred dollars. Wholesale or retail? Wholesale. Holy! Oh wow! Yeah, it Whoa. was insane. And indoor that, or outdoor? Indoor. Indoor. Okay. It better be. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, but back then, OG was not everywhere. Nobody was growing. Like this is all new. Mm. You know, we think like, oh, Colorado's been in the game for so long. No, California. Mm-hmm. Has been doing it since 96. L.A. took a while. Mm-hmm. But then it blew up, you know? But yeah. no one was growing OG back then. It was like a delicacy or whatever. Mm. So, I mean, pounds were like 4,000 of OG. And right now, God, I feel like a wholesale indoor, it's like 2,200 at yeah, best. At best. And I used to feel bad dealing with all these growers because mm-hmm. dispensary owners have a habit of low-balling growers. And then at least making 100% margins. Mm-hmm. Marking up maybe even three times. Yeah, times. It's, yeah. And they haven't even been paying taxes. So just imagine what mm-hmm. the markup is going to be mm-hmm. once they have to pay an excise tax. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay, so. So I'm getting grow. off on. Yeah. No, but this is so good. But so you, you did math. So I did the grow. Mm-hmm. And then I hit up my friend Kenny Morrison. And mm-hmm. he owns Venice Cookie Company, mm-hmm. which he started back when I was at my dispensary. And I was like, hey, I need a job. So he started me as supply management and I've never even worked on a computer until then. (laughs) So that was really interesting. And within a year, I had taken over R&D product development. Mm -hmm. And then within two years, I got to be the operations manager and I had help create 11 products and I was working with food scientists and the labs, canvas testing labs, mm-hmm. the kitchen, graphic design. It was awesome. I loved it. And mm-hmm. I did that for three years. Um, then I felt that I wanted to learn more. Mm-hmm. And my goal always has been to top off my career experience with a lab, a canvas testing mm-hmm. lab. And I ended up After I left BCC, I contacted Jeffrey Raber, and he owns the workshop, and he's the guy I worked with at Venice Cookie Company doing formulations and doing all of our testing, and he brought me on as a project manager, Mm -hmm. and that was the best experience because any sort of misconception that I might have had over the years, like, for instance, indica and sativa, Mm -hmm. meaning an effect of how it works, that all got thrown out like now I know what I'm talking about and I have a PhD you know at the on the other line of my phone I can text him anytime yeah and in the end it's from this entire situation from literally seed to sale Mm -hmm. and in between that has given me to me personally like an unparalleled insight into the industry 100% and I feel like that's why we connect so well because I mean couple together you I have no knowledge 
to the extent of what you have. And like I've understood, you know, how the cannabis industry works only through going and helping businesses and then being able to work with you has just been so great where really we have so many overlaps that we've been able to see over the last like few months really when it comes to operations. So I'm like yeah. super, super pumped. Yeah, we're like the missing key. Yep. Yeah, so 100%. the full picture. Yeah. Yeah, very exciting. Very exciting. So then today, what we're going to be talking about, it's so funny, we were, you know, sitting at our office yesterday and talking about the top events in 2016 or what was happening in 2017, and I was showing you my list of, ah, oh, these are the top 10 event, business events that were in 2016, and you're like, wait, let me show you mine, and it was just completely different. Yeah, I don't think we have a single thing. That matched. Yeah. And they're both so relevant to the industry. And so we thought, okay, let's get one last podcast in for 2016. We already know it's airing in 2017. So when you're listening, yes, it's a little bit of a delay, but it's still very applicable to 2017. And this is the cannabis industry. So nothing is ever on time. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So Except us. Yes, We are always on time. Always to every call. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I was thinking what we do is we go back and forth, you know, top 10. I mean, mine's top 10 uh, of the events and how I kind of created it. It was kind of going backwards uh, for the number one is my favorite. Yeah. And then mine is more of the things that have come out this year that we definitely should keep an eye on mm-hmm. in the future. These are what's changing the industry or how it's growing Yeah, and extremely exciting. Are you ready to get started? Yeah, it's been awesome. You go first. Okay, so my number 10 is CBD and the DEA. So CBD, as we know, has been, you know, has caught even mainstream attention for quite some time. I mean, I think Sanjay Gupta and the CNN documentary kind Mm. of gave a lot of insight to the mainstream media. And for all those people who don't know CBD, and Kristen, you probably will correct me, but CBD doesn't produce like the high that THC does. Actually, even more interesting is it's the anti-high. Mm-hmm. So you can actually calm your high down with CBD. Fun fact. Yes. Fun fact. And so there's been certain states that maybe they haven't, you know, passed a medical regulation, but they have a CBD law. So Texas, Alabama, Kentucky, all of those that really derive CBD from hemp, which is like point. 3% THC is considered CBD. So there's been this thriving CBD market. I mean, even internationally, it's been thriving. And a lot of the operators, I mean, we see CBD pet treats. We see, um, you know, CBD gum, CBD anything. CBD beverages, yeah. CBD lotion. Everything CBD. Yes. And all these guys are like, yes, there's no 280E. It's not federally illegal. I can ship across state lines. And I remember I even talked to a client that was doing CBD. And I'm like, you know what? Let's just make sh- I would assume that you have 280E. And for those people who don't know what 280E is, we'll link it into the show notes. But it's punitive taxation if you're dealing in cannabis. If you're trafficking a Schedule One drug, you have got 280E. And it means that you can't deduct anything besides your cost of goods sold. And leave it to the United States government to create a tax code for drug trafficking. Mm-hmm, exactly. Like, they're like, look, if you're going to traffic drugs, then you can't write off anything. 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 That's awesome. Oh, it's horrible. I know. Oh, it's just, I, I'm, that's, I feel like, a whole other podcast. But, yes. so, 
December 2016 rolls around and the DEA, your best friend that wanted to recruit you, mm-hmm. you know, makes this announcement and really, you know, I sent the link to you and then you sent me something back that you're like, hey, you know, don't freak out, really. And really, really what, the, what the DEA did is they, it was more of a bookkeeping classification, but they reinforced that they consider CBD a Schedule One substance. And in their notice, they spelled marijuana with an H. They don't even call it cannabis. But what that means to anybody in CBD and CBD manufacturing is that, yeah, you are really dealing with a Schedule One substance just like THC. So that means that crossing state lines is federally illegal. Banking is going to be a huge issue. And taxation, it's, it's there. So but, that's my number 10. What? Like, but I'm hearing from, mm-hmm. you know, lawyers and other people, it's, it's tough because there's two sides and the other people are like, look, the DEA doesn't make laws. That's true. They can say whatever they want. Like, the DEA says crap all the time. Like, yeah. what does it matter? You know? I get it. We gotta get a lawyer on the phone. Yeah, and it's a risk, you know? But yep. cannabis is a risk. 100%. Otherwise, everyone would be in it. Mm-hmm. And that's why everyone wants to legalize it. So all of these business people mm-hmm. can get in it without the fear of prison. Or asset forfeiture, which oh. I feel like we'll probably which see in 2017. Which is a very, very legitimate fear yep. as well. Yep. But, I mean, you want to play the game? Then yep. you're going to take some blows. Do you think that the DEA is going to do any raids on CBD producers in 2017? Have they ever done a raid on a CBD producer? That's a good question. Well, I don't think I've heard of a CBD-specific producer being raided. raided. But you know, so like in the summer, I was doing a ton of research on the raids that the DEA had done, and they started the cannabis uh, eradication program, I think, back in the 70s, mm-hmm. after all that stuff kind of happened with the CSA, the Controlled Substance Act. And even in 2015, they're still doing raids. And I mean, again, this is not really the topic of the podcast too much, but the Cole Memo, the Ogden Memo, and Rora, uh, Rora Brocker and Farr have kind of allowed states to you know, do their own thing if they're compliant and the DA is not going to enforce it. But I think we should look it up because I don't think there has been a CBD raid. No. Would we hear about it if there was? As it is, as it is interesting? I don't know. I mean, I would think so, all considering everything that people are going through already. Yeah. That that would be very important. Yeah. All right. That was mine. Okay. So... Um, mine is why are feds targeting high-end pot producers in California? <laughs> yep. So that kind of goes in hand line in hand. with it. And the problem is in California, which I love my state, don't get me wrong, but when you're the sixth largest economy in the world, mm-hmm. you best believe there are special interests that are creating the laws and the propositions that we're voting on. Mm-hmm. And Prop 64 sounds awesome. Everyone voted for it because everyone wants legalization, but they don't realize that. So California says, hey, if your city or county wants to be a part of this mm-hmm. and they want to allow these businesses, they can. But mm-hmm. if they don't want to, then they don't have to allow these businesses. So then your only right is Another thing, actually, is they can also say, because it said everyone can grow six plants, Mm -hmm. they can say, we don't want outdoor cultivation. That's not allowed in our city or our county. And then they're going to be growing indoors, which Mm -hmm. is going to tax the grid, the energy grid. 100%. 
which is going to cost them more in the end, and then they choose not to tax it. But anyways, the problem with this is, in California especially, your biggest risk to your company is your employees. Always, yeah. Because it's a very gray area still, even with Prop 64, because cities and counties can do whatever they want. So a lot of these places that have been rated that were really big, like Midwest or Care by Design, Mm -hmm. I mean, and I don't know for sure, but this is what I've heard, that these were disgruntled employees. You get rated. Like, they come in. They're not going to do the investigation first. They raid everything. Seize the assets. Seize your assets. Well, always. I mean, the first thing they did at my dispensary is smash every camera you can find. First thing they do, because God forbid they get caught on camera eating brownies. <laughs> I remember that. Yep. And then getting fired, you know, Santa mm-hmm. Ana, mm-hmm. talking crap to a lady in a wheelchair, you know. Um, so there, there is no protection still. I mean, we'll see how yeah. this new, what, Jeff Sessions? Jeff Sessions. Scary. But to clarify, like, MedWest, that was San Diego police. It wasn't, like, the gov. it wasn't the federal government. What about the other one that you gave? The example, was it a federal raid or was it a state raid? That's a good question. I'm pretty sure that they're state raids because I even remember there was an oil producer up north right before, like right in summertime, I think June 2016, that also got raided and he did everything by the book and it was the city. So I feel like when you talk about the state and the and perhaps the corruption that evolves in some of these localities, especially as they award licenses and all that stuff, it's a lot of the, the city, local, or even state officials. And that's the point. Mm-hmm. Is we're not even talking about, but at the same time, it said, why are feds targeting high end cannabis? But the point is this San Diego doesn't have to allow cannabis, mm-hmm. recreational cannabis. They haven't been cool with medical cannabis. Yeah. So what's going to prevent them from raiding a company? Well, I think, and you know what, especially, I mean, we're voting on it in Los Angeles in March, what's going to happen with Los Angeles cannabis operators. But I have a feeling states are, you know, because in California, the MCRSA and then uh, Proposition 64 are implemented theoretically on the same day. We didn't even talk about localities. I'm assuming many more localities are going to, you know, not ban medical and then open up the levies. Okay. Um, So my number nine, gosh, we're like on the same thing, still relates to the DEA. Um, I was so... I was happy when I found out that the DEA was not going to reschedule cannabis uh, on August 11, 2016. I think that the DEA needs to reschedule cannabis to a Schedule 3, 4, 5, or really it should just deschedule cannabis as it's only a plant and just regulate it. Um, But there were a lot of rumors that the DEA was going to reschedule cannabis as a Schedule 2. And that's great because under the Controlled Substance Act, you can, you know, they acknowledge that cannabis has medicinal benefits. Because currently, you know, as a Schedule 1, which they say it still is, uh, there's no medical benefits to it. But for me and for business, and when I think about cannabis operators... This classification between a Schedule 1 and a Schedule 2 for any cannabis entrepreneur or operator does not do anything as it relates to 280E or any of the same issues that they would face with banking. So I was very happy that the DEA denied rescheduling it only because there were such rumors that they were going to reschedule to a 2. Yeah, and that's another thing is the Santa Monica Observer 
Yes. They are... What gossip? Like, who... Not only did they make up that article, Mm -hmm. this spread, like, fire, obviously, and was full of crap, Mm -hmm. they just put out another article saying that before Obama leaves, he's going to make it legal. I wish, but that's not happening. And the problem is, though, is you know, I know, that Santa Monica Observer is like a rag, like a news <laughs> rag, yep. seriously. Mm-hmm. But most people don't know that. And also I think that people, it's, well, this goes to the whole concept of like what's fake news and what's not fake news and this whole thing that's happening right now into the United States anyway on a much bigger level. But yeah, I mean, I think that person was very happy with the hits that they got and all that stuff just shows up on Google Alerts and stuff. But I remember I was, I was a nervous person and August 11th, 2016, when they denied the two petitions, I was very happy. I was like, come on, guys. Yeah. Like, they're never going to. Call me cynical, but I've been watching this for 11 years. People just started. Yeah. Okay, so this is not new. Yeah. All right. Your turn. So, my next one, and I'll give us, like, a little break from more business law type stuff, Mm -hmm. is it's... The entourage effect. I don't know if you've heard about it, but the entourage effect is about terpenes and cannabinoids. They go together. And it's a well-known phrase that people use. Oh, it's the entourage effect. And a lot of people, when it comes to CBD, Mm -hmm. they say, is it CBD from hemp or CBD from cannabis? Mm -hmm. A, hemp is cannabis Mm -hmm. okay but i get it so we're trying to classify is it the kind with no thc or the kind with thc Mm -hmm. so that's important but at the same time and they're saying this because of the entourage effect that it's not as effective but let's look at it from a scientific aspect cbd is a molecule thc is a molecule they don't have to occur in the same plant for you to put the two together to give the effect that it needs. Secondly, terpenes, which I'll get into that in another next article. Okay. But with the terpenes, that's where the effect comes from. That's where the smell comes from. Sour diesel Mm -hmm. is a smell. That's what, I mean, it's a strain, but you know sour diesel with your nose. Mm -hmm. It might look different, but if it smells the same, it's the same. Mm. So... The entourage effect is saying, look, you can't just have one molecule, just CBD. You need CBD, THC, terpenes together, and it's that combination that gives the effect. Mm, interesting. But then the one of the founders of science in cannabis, Dr. Grinspoon, came out saying it's not the entourage effect, it's the ensemble effect. And I get it, like, maybe that's getting a little too anal about Mm -hmm. the subject, but if you think about it, an entourage is one person Mm -hmm. with, like, a bunch of groupies. Yep. But that's one person. Exactly, entourage. But an ensemble is every single part of that band or... or Group. Orchestra or Mm -hmm. whatever. They're all needed to produce that rich sound that they have. So I think, you know, just like terpenes were like a new word at the beginning of the year. Yep. We have to correct our vocabulary if we want to be taken seriously. It's the ensemble effect. Okay. Oh, I like it. Yes. And weren't there, I don't know, maybe you're going to be talking about it in a little bit, but 
wasn't there like an article or wasn't there some news about all these bud tenders giving misinformation and not knowing the strains and like, oh, this is sour diesel, but it was like Girl Scout cookies. Yeah, so let's say that for then. Okay, Okay, perfect. So I alluded to it. So my number eight, billions and billions. So we all know that cannabis is a billion-dollar industry. I think it was like $5.4 billion in 2015. Not sure how much it's going to be in 2016, but we know that we're dealing with an industry that's going to be larger pretty soon than craft beer, wine, organic food, the NFL. You hear the stats. Um, So what I thought was super interesting, a report from Viridian Capital, and then it was later written in Forbes, is that 2016 was the first year that a billion dollars has been raised in the cannabis industry. And that's so significant. I mean, you know, we work with a lot of people that are seeking capital and a lot of them are startups, self-funded. A lot of investors were super wary about actually investing directly into it and would do, you know, some type of note or some type of debt uh, lending. And to hear that 2016, it's actually been $1 billion raised. I mean, it's so fantastic. And then one quote from the MJ Biz Daily Um, The total estimated annual demand for recreational cannabis alone in the United States is about 40 to 45 billion dollars, exceeding that of craft beer, wine and organic food. Um, And, you know, we were both at the MJ Biz Conference in November 2016 in Vegas, which was super fun. So fun. So fun. And to me, what was so obvious and evident there is just this onset of capital that's been injected into the marketplace. So I'm very curious to see, you know, what's going to happen uh, in 2017. Um, people are going to get really wealthy. Well, I don't know, but that same, actually that same fact book showed that a lot of companies are not making a profit. And that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah, it's the green rush, but there's a ton of people rushing into it. Mm-hmm. And let us not forget, it is an industry that is a business. It's a business, people. Like, I get yep. it. Like, let's... I, I understand you wanting to relive your days in the 70s, and it's like, hey, Ashbury or whatever. I get <laughs> it. But if you want to succeed, then go against the grain and set your company up correctly. Yeah. Like... It's not that, it's not a new concept. No, not at all. And I just think, you know, also it's hard to run a business in whatever industry you're in. And you always need to have, like, you need to be unique. Like that's the differentiation. Like clearly we have competitors, growers have tons of competitors and you have to ask yourself, oh no, I'm not the best. No, nobody's necessarily the best, but how are you unique? Right. And I think that's one of the harder things when people like, you know, see these dollar signs and they're like trying to get into the industry and not knowing where they're going to fit and, you know, want to be like a massive cultivator and have no years of experience cultivating cannabis. It's like me saying I wanted to like own a 22,000 square foot grow and doing it by myself. Well, God, a capital is so much and I don't have the experience. Yeah. And it's a massive investment. 100%. And it's so my next article that I want to talk about is it's in Marijuana Business Daily, and it's testing supply issues could be a death knell for Oregon marijuana market. So, look, you can come in to a state, you can get your licenses, you can be totally compliant, you are going to sink a ton of money into your security, into everything that the state is forcing you to do, mm-hmm. and one day you wake up and... The OHA, Mm -hmm. Oregon Health Authority, 
comes out or the OLCC, mm-hmm. which is like the Oregon Liquor Control whatever committee. Committee, mm-hmm. yeah. So they come out and they're making their testing more stringent, which cool, good. You know, it's about time that we actually have quality control on what we're inhaling because yeah. it's not all good. Let's be honest. The problem is, is they created like this glut of supply where there weren't enough labs to do all the testing. How many were there? Like, I, this is actually so funny. This is like part of one of mine. There's like six labs in the whole state of Oregon. No, there are many more medical labs. But the problem is, is everyone turned recreational. So they can't use a medical lab. Because that's not the same structure. Because they're not structure. licensed. Yeah, so mm. people that want to come in and do, me- like Washington, mm-hmm. and this is my fear for California, is that they're going to get rid of medical. That's what mm-hmm. they did in Washington. Yep. They were like, you know what, just bring it into the recreational infrastructure and like screw medical. But yep. when you do that, A, recreational has limited THC amounts. Like a hundred milligrams, mm-hmm. medical had a thousand milligrams. Mm-hmm. People are sick; they need more. Mm-hmm. They also didn't have to pay a crazy tax on it. Now they do. Yeah. It's the medical people didn't go away, you know. Yeah. So that's the thing is like, Oregon is having issues transitioning, mm-hmm. and the only people that truly suffer are the people that came in there to start businesses yeah. and they're trying to do everything they can. When I even think that there was like some layoffs and of just like, hey, we've got, I mean, imagine that you've got your product ready and the only thing you're waiting for is this like gold seal of approval. And so all the dispensaries, like their shelves were empty because of this exact problem. But then they did change something. So I think what's going to happen is that 2017, all of the full uh, lab licensing requirements are going to be implemented, so they've got some time. Cannabis operators have some time to kind of cope with that. But agreed. I, I also believe that the head mm-hmm. of I forget if it was the OHA or the OLCC mm-hmm. quit. He resigned. Well, that even happened actually. In why do you know why he resigned? Because because he was like, look, I am underfunded, mm. understaffed. Mm. What are we supposed to do? Everybody who, everybody, every local or state government that regulates, Mm -hmm. that goes into legalization or whatever, they ask so many license applications to go through. Not to mention, I mean, Delaware's license application was like 100 pages. It's not easy. Delaware? Yeah, dude. Insane. What? Yeah. I mean, applying for a license is just ridiculous. The fees. Mm -hmm. And now, I mean, California, cities and counties can make their own fees for their licenses. Yes, exactly. Crazy. Mm. All right. So my number seven is the IPOs. Just goes really off of number eight. But so, I mean, there's been publicly traded companies that have been in the cannabis industry for like quite some time. They've been traded on the pink sheets, the OTCB markets, and those requirements and regulations aren't as stringent as, you know, something like the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange. So my number seven is that... um, in November of 2016, a cannabis real estate investment trust filed an IPO on the New York Stock Exchange. And so right now they, I mean, they've been up and running for what, you know, on the exchange for like a month and a half, but their current stock price is 17. It's like hovering around there. So kudos to them. And again, it's not directly touching the cannabis. It's a real estate trust. Well, 
and from everyone we've been talking to yeah. and reading articles, mm -hmm. and has been the case in California, the main people that make a ton of money up front in this industry, real estate and lawyers. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's the safest. I mean, I guess not for lawyers, because you could lose your license maybe if you were bad at it or, or something. Or taking or conflict of interest. Yeah, conflict or of interest. Like that. But yeah. I mean, now, right now, there's like a warehouse purchasing boom. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But the thing is, is look, cities haven't decided if they're going to allow it in the first place. And when they do, what if they say you have to have a thousand foot radius from, you know, children, schools, churches, whatever. That's what they On did. On top of the coal memo. They did that to, yeah. in 2006, it was the pre-ICO. Mm -hmm. You hear in LA, oh, we're pre-ICO, measure D, whatever. Mm-hmm. It was the interim control ordinance because they're like, oh my God, all these people. And they made these dispensaries, mine included, jump through so many hoops. Yeah. Like we had to send a letter to everyone within a thousand foot radius to let them know, hey, we're here. And if you have a complaint, this is how you file it or whatever. Oh, wow. Then we, people had to move their locations because it's a thousand foot radius is really big, mm -hmm. you know? And then they decided to have a lottery. They just had a lottery. That was, like, right before I quit. And I was just like, oh, my God. I can't handle this. Yeah. Wow. Well, and I think also, I mean, when we talk about California, there's a ton of local places that are, you know, have been economically deprived and are opening up for cannabis operations. But I've heard through many sources that the state might not accept all of those cannabis operations. So imagine that you go to a city like... Um, I don't know, Adelanto or Cathedral City, where there's a lot of cannabis operators right now, well, how do you know that the state's even going to allow that? Like, I've heard from several people that maybe that won't be the case. So a lot of this still is just like, gosh, we don't know until we know. Exactly. Though, I mean, with that said, the next story I was going to bring up was mm -hmm. Kalinga mm -hmm. bankrupt. I mean, nothing new in California. Mm -hmm. But they used to be, like, a prison city, Kalinga. I watched those locked-up documentaries, like, <laughs> all of them, because it's so scary. I don't know. I don't know why I do that to myself. But I saw Kalinga Prison. It was mm -hmm. not a good prison to be at. I mean, I guess no prisons are. But yeah. anyways, um, mm -hmm. so the mayor of the city had been meeting. I forget the name of the company, but they had been meeting for, like, over a year. They were mm -hmm. having city council meetings, whatever. Mm -hmm. And they finally decided to allow the prison facility to be turned into a grow slash extraction slash contract manufacturing location for the cannabis industry. Like That's insane. That's so awesome. And that just goes to show you, and like I've been saying always, money grows on trees. It's called cannabis. Like, mm -hmm. why not learn how to grow it? You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think that's huge. That's huge. We just turned a prison into, like, a pot farm. What happened with all the inmates? Like, that's the weird thing. Like, why do prisons close down? Was it a private prison? And It was probably, like, too old or something. Oh, wow. I mean, well, they're bankrupt, so obviously it wasn't making them money. Yeah. But then we let out all of those people in 2011 with Prop 47 that reduced a ton of mm. felonies to misdemeanors, misdemeanors, whatever, and they yeah. let out a bunch of nonviolent offenders. Oh, okay. So maybe they let out the whole prison. No, I'm just kidding. I, but yeah, or they probably just went somewhere else. But I don't think it's on my list. But also, like, kudos to Obama for granting amnesty to, or 
clemency to a lot of inmates. Like, one of my friends, he's a lawyer, he'd been working with an inmate that was sentenced to life in prison for cannabis, and he got him off. That's amazing. Isn't that just the best thing ever? And with that said, ever since Hillary Clinton pardoned that rapist murderer guy who... Hmm. Um, I forget what his name is, but as soon as he got out, he murdered, he raped some old lady, and then he murdered, like, three other people before he got caught again. And after that, they, like, stopped pardoning people. Like, no Uh one wants to pardon anyone Mm -hmm. because, God forbid, like... Something bad happens. Yes, exactly. So it's really important that Obama did grant these because no one wants to do that. No. No. It's, like, rare nowadays. It's so rare. Yeah. My turn? Yes. Okay. I think I'm on number six, on-site consumption. So, I feel that, you know, so many people think of Amsterdam as the place where there's cannabis cafes and you can get space cake. I know I've had so many amazing times in Amsterdam. And... You know, even Oregon, um, during this weird gray period, was allowing these cannabis events to happen where you'd be able to, you know, dab, hang out, and and really kind of be at a bar almost where there's just cannabis. And I would love to see more and more venues and vicinities kind of come up like that. And so my number six is that, you know, during the fall, Denver started to allow, they passed Proposition uh, or Initiative 300 in November 2016, and it allows bars to decide if their patrons can bring in cannabis and consume it. So to me, that's, I mean, again, it's baby steps to see if later on we can get to this concept of a cannabis cafe, but please sign me up. Like, I would love to be able to do that because I think there's so many people that are in this culture that like to consume where it's like we can't do it at a bar you know you can't get a fine and exactly it's like when I went to Seattle to do market research by checking out their rec shops Mm -hmm. I was so surprised by going there it was just so much more different than yes it's crazy I'm excited. So that's just my that's my number six. Oh I just remembered what I was gonna say. Hmm. I forgot what I was gonna say. I just remembered when I was there, I'm like, how do I get high? Like, where do I smoke? Like, you can't smoke outside. You can't Mm-mm. smoke inside. You can't smoke within however many feet of somewhere. You can't smoke. <laughs> Jesus. Probably. You can't smoke in your hotel room. Like, what? Like, what are people? People are like, oh, man. They're buying edibles go and eating get them. all this weed and, like, it's recreational. And it's like, wait, like. You could still get a ticket for it. Yeah. I think, actually, that is one of the main reasons why Denver passed it, is because there's so many tourists that are going, and they're buying tons of, you and know, weed. little clouds of smoke everywhere. Yeah, and then, like, you know, hotels, they're like, oh, no, it's not a sm- non-smoking hotel, et cetera. So it's like, oh, okay, it's like BYOB and going into a bar now in Denver where you're, you know, able to take in your cannabis and then go consume. At the same time... They don't go well together. I don't drinking care what anyone alcohol? says. Yeah, oh, alcohol and, and cannabis. cannabis do not go no. together. And I think why not make cannabis specific bars? I would love. Well, know? that's you know, and that's what I hope to see. Like, if we could have cannabis cafes only, I like, think it's baby steps. In LA, I mean, because there's so many dispensaries. Like, who's going to be able to regulate all of them? There's been no regulation, anyways. Mm-hmm. But I went to one dispensary that had a hash bar. Mm-hmm. And then, like, little tables to chill at. And then they would have, like, comedy nights. 
Oh, so cool. I was like, dude, this is genius. But, mm-hmm. you know, when, like, your whole audience is dabbing, that's, like, brutal. It's a brutal audience. Because, like, they're so high, they don't even laugh. Or are they even paying attention? <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's, you know, if you really want to, like, sharpen your wit, yeah. like, don't don't go to a place like this. <laughs> um, but it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Thank you for listening to part one of the show and joining Kristen and me today. In part two, we will finish up our top 10 list. So if you have any questions that you'd like to ask us, please join our LinkedIn group, Cannabis Business Minds, and check out our consulting website, www.liv-consulting.com. Have a great day.